Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore the uses of primary sources in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. Well, we are still a little off schedule, and that is because I am still working on house and home improvements. And it seems that every time I have a family moment where the house is empty, I also have workers in here that are putting up drywall and um, doing the sort. So we are trying to get back on schedule, but we're also trying to get this little home improvement project finished up. It is getting closer. I'm happy to say that. And I'm really happy to be back doing a little bit of chat with you because I've been thinking a lot about this last picture book and primary source blog post that I put up through Knowledge Quest through the American Association of School Librarians. And I'll link it in the notes here if you have not had a chance to see it. But it was around the book above the rim, how Elgin Baylor changed basketball. And if you haven't seen this story, uh, I'm sure many of you have, but if you haven't seen this story, it is not only beautifully told, it is beautifully illustrated. It really is an incredible book. The entire time I was working with it, though, I really was struck with the way that Jen Bryant, the author, was bringing in elements of the civil rights movement into Elgin Baylor's life. And then he has this moment in the story where he really pushes civil rights for NBA players. When he is put in a position where he's asked to stay at different housing accommodations as a traveling NBA teammate, and all of his white teammates are put up in, in better co accommodations. So what he does is he essentially sits out the game, and people were upset. They, there were a number of them who came to see specifically Elgin Baylor. I wasn't exactly sure how great Elgin was. I, it was not some, he was not a player that I was familiar with prior to reading this book. So the first thing that I did was look for video of Elgin Baylor on the court. And he was incredible. I have never, I, I'm not a huge basketball fan. My college had a really good basketball team, but my city does not have an NBA team. And so I'm more of a, a baseball watcher, sometimes a football watcher, but not often a basketball watcher. That being said, I certainly could appreciate the talent that Elgin Baylor had on the court. And it certainly answered an initial question in my mind, which was why were people so upset when he sat out this one game? And it would be the equivalent in my mind of a great player of today. If LeBron said, well, I'm sitting out the game, not because I'm injured, but because I was mistreated. And there were, there would be people in attendance who would be upset at that. Maybe not upset with LeBron, but upset with certainly the situation. And that was kind of where we were with that moment in time around Elgin Baylor. And it made me want to know more about that moment in time and what was going on. And it also then made me bridge to kind of a bigger idea of what I sometimes see happening in schools. And that is these big 
massive research projects that happen at different grade levels. And sometimes they happen at upper elementary levels. Sometimes they happen at middle school levels. Sometimes they happen at high school levels. But they're often, at least I've often seen them, focused in on a particular topic. So usually they're tied into a social studies unit uh, or a U.S. history unit or some type of history unit. And the students will be asked to do some type of research around whatever that particular topic is. And of course, in Elgin Baylor's case, I'm thinking civil rights. I'm, I would imagine that, and I know of districts that do a big civil rights unit at maybe one grade level or possibly at multiple grade levels. And part of that unit might be some research that students are asked to do. And I was, as I was reading this book, as I was starting to do some investigating and ask some questions around Elgin Baylor, this really pointed me towards one area of primary sources that I love, and that is the ability to be paired together with these picture books and do research. So where might we have areas where we've got these giant research topics and students might use a picture book and primary source combo as part of a component within their research process. This would be, and again, in my experience, somewhat unusual. It's not something we see a lot of or I've seen a lot of, but it is something that I want to talk about today in this episode and make a case for, if not for all students, then maybe at least for some it might be a really workable piece of their research process. Let me make the argument for this if I could. Why bring in a picture book, and we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep with this example of Elgin Baylor, why bring in a picture book to, into a research process? In my mind, there's a few really great reasons to bring in a picture book. Number one reason is, and the biggest one, is to provide context for students. Often when we're doing these big research projects around a particular topic, we're not asking students to research all of the civil rights movement. We want them to focus in on a certain area, but there's only so many areas that most students are going to know about. They might want to focus in, know to focus in on, they might know to focus in on JFK or Rosa Parks, or they might have some geographic knowledge of, of Selma or some other places that they might be able to target their attention on. But that is going to be limited. So how can we expand that? Because we have a class or even classes of students doing this, how can we expand that breadth of, of where we're going to focus our attention? And one way, I think, is to bring in these historically-based picture books. I was just looking through a very quick look through my few years of writing the picture book and primary source blog post. And this is by no means exhaustive. There are so many more picture books out there within the realm or that touch on the realm of, of civil rights. But in addition to Above the Rim, uh, you can also look at uh, a post I recently wrote about the book The Teacher's March. I also did one on Let the Children March by Monica Clark Robinson and also illustrated by Frank Morrison. 
sit in, how four friends stood up by sitting down by Andrea Davis Pinckney and illustrated by Brian Pinckney, the voice of Fannie Lou Hamer, Spirit of the Civil Rights Movement by Carol Boston Weatherford, and then the fictional account, Ruth in the Green Book. And there is another picture book coming out soon that I think is, or maybe it has just come out, I need to hunt it down, that is a nonfiction uh, account around the Green Book and the Civil Rights Movement. So even just there, in a quick glance, we've got over half a dozen books that we're able to point to that have some kind of targeted aspect around civil rights. And we can encourage students or invite students to read those books and it will give them some context of an aspect of the civil rights movement. I think better yet, it also gives them focus. It narrows that idea of the civil rights movement down and it starts to give them, if they do research on that particular topic, some keywords where they can focus their attention. Those keywords could be, of course, for primary sources, but also for secondary sources. We're gonna get people's names, we're going to get time periods, we're going to get geographic locations. We're going to get specific events that happened. And exploring the back matter in these books when they have them is another rich resource because this back matter in so many of these books today have just as much, if not more, information than the story itself in the picture book in just a few pages. So it, again, can help target students' attention and give them a focus for their research. And I think a last thing that it does when we let students read across multiple picture books is it starts to make connections for them because often there will be times where, for example, in Above the Rim, there are references to other elements or other aspects of the civil rights movement, either in the story or in the back matter. And having the opportunity to make those connections can really give students an idea of where their piece of research, where their focus area, where they might target their attention, fits into this bigger idea of the civil rights movement. All of that information they gain doesn't have to necessarily target it on their topic, but it can help them connect their topic to multiple other areas within the broader topic under study. So bringing in the picture books, I think, is for me, just a no-brainer, and, and some of that is getting down to what picture books are out there, what topics are out there to be explored. That is one place where, as a school librarian, I can play a role, and other school librarians can play a role in curating as many of those types of resources and bringing them into our collection. If not into maybe our school's collection, maybe they're going to be in the broader collection across multiple schools in the district. But if we know where they all are, if we know what they all are, the librarian can bring those together for the classroom teacher for that part of the process. Well, we haven't talked much about primary sources yet. And that to me then becomes the next logical step because I think that in some ways, as informative and contextually enlightening as so many of these picture books are, they are also, in some ways, distanced from the event themselves. So how can we get even closer to that event that we are working on learning more about? 
And that is by reaching out and searching for those primary sources. I think this is another area where the school librarian and classroom teachers play an important part in the research process with these students. So we can give some guiding ideas behind exploring these picture books, but when they're ready to move to that next step, students are going to need help in knowing where resources are, and they'll also need help in starting to visualize what type of resources they would expect to be out there. So when we're talking about primary sources, and I'll keep going back to above the rim, what kind of sources would I expect to be out there around Elgin Baylor, specifically around this particular event? Well, he was an extremely well-known basketball player at the time. I would expect that it would be somewhere within the news. So is there an interview? Is there a television report? Is there a newspaper report around this particular event? And how much can I gather then? Where would I go for these types of things? Students will need help with that, especially if they're not used to searching for their own primary sources. So depending on how much of that type of experience they have, getting to the place to search is going to be important, not just jumping onto Google. Helping them in those transitional steps is going to be important. And possibly as a librarian, taking just a moment to show the difference of types of resources you're going to find if you search on a database of historical items versus just doing that very overly sim that very simple Google search. How's that going to yield some different results, specifically if we're looking for primary sources? In this case, what I was able to find were several videos, as I mentioned earlier, of Elgin Baylor playing, but what I also found were several newspaper accounts around the event. And those were all found in a resource that I've mentioned before, and I know that you, if you've listened to this podcast, you know about uh, Chronicling America. And I'm gonna keep touting it because when it comes to historically-based news, it is really uh, one of the best out there for print news. There were some great resources out there around the event. Not as many as I would have expected, but also remember that the number of digitized newspapers from that time period is still growing. It doesn't, it's not the, um, quite the sweet spot for Chronicling America yet, but the numbers are growing. And so I was able to find newspaper accounts in multiple newspapers from across the United States around Elgin Baylor sitting out this game, the why behind that, and then some of the reaction to that. The other piece that the primary sources bring in that I think help contrast from the picture book is they often bring in other perspectives. And when a nonfiction picture book writer tells a story, she or he is often giving one perspective. In this case, of course, in the book by Jen Bryant, we're getting Elgin Baylor's perspective. We're getting the why of him sitting out this game specifically from his perspective. And we get a little bit of the reaction to that and we get a little bit of some of the other perspectives to that, but not as much as some of these primary sources might give us. And sure enough, there is one account that I was able to find that 
showed that there were individuals who represented um, the government as well as the stadium that were tossing around the idea of asking um, Elgin Baylor or the NBA to play to pay some type of a fine for Elgin sitting out this game, that there was lost revenue to be had. Now, your students may very well disagree with that perspective, but the point is is that some of those perspectives can come in through the primary sources that are out there and can, be, and can broaden out our understanding of the event itself. We can gain more information about who some of the major players were, in addition to Elgin Baylor, around the specific event, who was speaking up and who could speak up and was prominent enough to actually be reported on in these newspapers. I think those elements are helpful for students to know and bring in through primary sources. And sometimes those aren't even available in other secondary sources, especially when we're getting someone that at this time is not as often reported on like Elgin Baylor. We certainly can find longer accounts, longer hand accounts of Elgin Baylor, but that's probably not what my middle school student is sitting down with. He's probably not sitting down or she's not sitting down with the two or 300 page biography of Elgin Baylor. That student is sitting down with articles on Elgin Baylor, with historical documents or video around Elgin Baylor, and possibly with this picture book. Their depth of what they're actually going to be consuming is going to be um, shorter text, shorter pieces of information. And so getting those other perspectives in those shorter pieces of information through primary sources, I think, can be a great thing. And the other piece I want to bring in around that is this idea, and something I mentioned kind of early on here in my talk, was this idea of asking questions. When I finish with that picture book, what am I wondering about Elgin Baylor and the Civil Rights Movement? Those are some of the questions that I should be on the lookout for as I am gathering up my primary and my secondary sources. And then as I am finding a round of those sources, so I find half a dozen or a dozen primary sources and I start to analyze those, I should do another round of questions. What's been answered and now what am I wondering about? Because I'm going to get these new perspectives. I'm going to get different layers of the event and different, an expansion of my understanding of the event through these sources, that should be bringing up other questions. And so doing this continual, these continual rounds of question asking in this research process, whether I'm dealing with a secondary source like the picture book, whether I'm dealing with primary sources like the newspaper articles or the video, whether I'm dealing with other types of secondary sources like shorter articles on, in this case, Elgin Baylor. All of this should end or begin, depending on how you're looking at it, with a round of questioning or looking at questions. What's been answered and what am I now wondering? And that leads me into that next round of research. I think we don't see that enough. I think that I don't see that as much as I would like, and I know that part of that is the time factor that that takes, but I also think that part of this is the 
linear fashion that we try to present the research process as to our students. And it simply isn't. It, it, it's, it's much more complex, um, as many of you know. So I, I, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir here in some respect, but I think that these things, this complexity should be honored. And this picture book and primary source pairings that we can see are one way that we can make that process more productive, more engaging for our students. And when our students are engaged, when they are productive, when they have questions that they want to find the answers to, and when they have a means to actually go about and do that, and even when they don't find the specific answer to their question, if that brings up new questions that they're interested in finding out, that's something that we want to get our students involved in. That's an experience that we want to get our students to have. So I will put in the link to the Elgin Baylor Above the Rim primary source and picture book write-up that was out this past month through Knowledge Quest. But I'll also put a link to the archive of all of my articles because what we're going to see in next week's episode, podcast episode, is an interview with Rob Sanders. So that's going to be coming up. And the book that we'll be talking about is around another one of those topics that I think gets a lot of attention in kind of the big research umbrella, and that is the Civil War. And there are, again, so many wonderful pairings. I'm not going to recount them in our interview episode, but I do think that the Knowledge Quest write-up is going to speak towards some of those elements of bringing some of those back and giving students choice. I think it can be a powerful tool. All right, that is our episode of the Primary Source Podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for sharing this, for subscribing to this podcast. And if you have a favorite historically-based picture book that you would like to see written up in a picture books and primary sources blog post, something that's come out within the last two or three years, please feel free to drop me a line. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Captain Library. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>